Welcome to Dad Factors. And today on the show, we have Daryl Hull, mm-hmm. the golf pro at the Lynx Golf Course here locally in Post Falls. Yes. Uh, he's played golf most of his life. Yep. Uh, owned a business that didn't that was not successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, bounced back from that, ended up getting a job at a at Downriver Golf Course. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, pretty much been in the golf industry in that arena. Yeah, teaches golf. He's won, uh, we don't talk about this in the podcast, but he's won some accolades. Yeah, he was the 2011 National High School Golf Coach of the Year. Also, the 2011 State High School Golf Coach of the Year. Yeah, it's a big deal. Did not win his high school coach of the year. <laughs> that year. That year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. But, yeah, so. Super nice guy. Uh super genuine you can it's interesting to me to see people that you can tell just love what they do and he is one of those people absolutely 100 percent loves what he does he likes to help people he likes to help people learn golf and learn the game and learn lessons yeah really. yeah absolutely but so, it's, it's so it's so nice to see that that love i, I <laughs> It's not something I see very often, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But before we do that, let's do the quote of the week. All right. Sent in by Mac. And it says, uh, anyone can say that they care, but watch their actions, not their words. Anyone can say that they care, but watch their actions and not their words. Yeah. That's good. Absolutely. (laughs) It can be applied to anything. Work, relationships, how you treat your kids anything yeah when i'm at work i like to say that i care too yeah (laughs) (laughs) let's start the show if you live in the coeur d'alene slash spokane area and you need your windows cleaned give brandon's window cleaning a call they offer window cleaning service, pressure washing, rain gutter cleaning, and roof moss removal. Brandon's Window Cleaning does a great job, and they can be found at brandonswindows.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N-S-W-I-N-D-O-W-S dot com. And while you're getting your windows cleaned, you, you have should yourself sit down. a beer. Yeah, relax with a nice cold one from Wallace Brewing Company. Wallace Brewing Company has the finest craft beers that I've ever tasted. I drink it, I give it to my guests on the show, and they love it. They have the Vindicator IPA, the 660 India-style Pale Lager, the Select Lager, the 1910 Black Lager, and my personal favorite, the Red Light. They got this Brewmaster Jack up there. Dude knows what he's doing. Yeah, puts his stuff together, and it tastes fantastic. Next time you're at the grocery store, pick yourself up a six-pack. You will not be disappointed. And as always, Wallace Brewing Company reminds you to drink responsibly. Without further ado, you ready? I'm ready. Ready? Yeah. So, Daryl, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how you came to live where you live today. Okay. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Post Falls, Idaho. I'm not sure if you know where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, lived there until I was about six years old, and then we moved to Coeur d'Alene, the big town of Coeur d'Alene. Um, my mom at the time was uh, very young. She had me when she was 16 years old, and... Uh, so we had her and I and my grandparents lived together and we moved to Coeur d'Alene. Then mom got married uh, to her first husband and we had another sibling 
in the family. Um, and we've lived in Coeur d'Alene for quite a while. I graduated from Coeur d'Alene High School. Uh, and then I broke out and went on the road. I got a scholarship offer from Northwest Bible College in Minot, North Dakota. Mm, wow. Yeah. Big town. Uh, and you and, said, why not Minot? Yeah. Freezing's the reason. <laughs> and uh, so I accepted that, went to Northwest Bible College for four years, and got over there and realized that I missed home a lot. And... Then just kind of basically moved back. I moved back to Coeur d'Alene for a while and then moved to Spokane to open my own sandwich shop uh, right up from Gonzaga University. Me and a, a buddy decided we'd branch out into the world of business. Mm. And he was the financial side and I was the working side. And after six months, uh, it wasn't making enough money for him. So he backed out and left me with the business. Mm. And uh, if you don't have any financial behind you, it's tough to get that business up and running. So I tried to stay with it as long as I could, and finally we gave it back to the lady that we bought it from, and I went looking for a job and uh, went to a couple different places. And when you own a business and then you go looking for a job, you are overqualified. Mm, yeah. you're, not getting a, you're not working at McDonald's. You're not working. No, you know too much. I don't want you stepping on my toes. So I uh, went to play golf with a buddy in 1985 and uh, stopped in at Downriver Golf Course. And I went up to the snack shed and I said, hey, you got any jobs? And she goes, I just hired my last person. She says, but I think the pro shop counter needs somebody over there. So I went over. I said, uh, hey, I'm looking for a job. And the gal says, you're hired. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. What am I doing? And she says, uh, you are a golf professional. And I go, wait a minute. I'm like a 12 or 14 handicap. I can't be a golf professional. I'm not good at golf. She says, that's okay, because you're going to work. You're not going to golf. <laughs> and so I started, uh, signed my first contract with a gal by the name of Patty Marquis at Downriver Golf Course, 1985. Uh, my contract was for six months out of the year, $600 a month. And so I went to work there, worked there for two, almost two and a half years, and then went to work at Indian Canyon in Spokane, then got an offer to come back to my home course, which was Coeur d'Alene Public, and be the mm. first assistant golf professional there. So I came back there, worked a year. It wasn't a very good situation work-wise, and my boss and I kind of butted heads a little bit, and got an offer to go to Avondale Golf Club, and uh, with my buddy who was the first or second assistant at Downriver when I was there. He got the head job at Avondale, and I said, absolutely, let's go do it. So I went to Down or, uh, Avondale in uh, 1999 and was there until, or no, 91, and I was there until 2000. And in 2000, I got out of the golf business for about a year and a half and worked for a land title company. And then... Uh, moved to Prairie Falls Golf Club here in Post Falls and thought that was my dream job and I was going to be there and retire there. And then I, about seven years later, I heard Prairie Falls was selling and I was going to be out of a job. Mm. And uh, I interviewed for a job at the Lynx Golf Club here in Post Falls and the gentleman offered me the job and I said yes. <laughs> and my wife at the time says, wait a minute, you don't even know what you're going to make. And I go, it's better to have a job 
and make something than to have nothing. Right. And so I did. I went to work at the Lynx, and I've been there now. This is year number eight and been back in my hometown, and I just love it. Awesome. Yeah, so kind of a long, windy road to get back to Post Falls where my where I grew up. So is your handicap still 12? <laughs> no. <laughs> I worked really hard at my game when I was at Downriver. Uh, I got hooked up with a good teacher, uh, Randy Henry. from, And uh, Randy was a top 100 teacher in the nation at that time. And uh, he was hanging out at Downriver a little bit. So I worked with him and worked on my game. And I went from, a, I think I was a 13 handicap at the time when I got in the business. And I went down to a, a four. Mm-hmm. And then shortly thereafter, I worked harder at my game, and I got to a plus two, and uh, was playing really good golf. I set a couple course records and was playing really good. And then I blew my right knee out. Oh! And uh, when I did that, I tore the quad tendon, the patella tendon, the meniscus. I blew it all out. And when I came back, I couldn't put any weight on it. I was non-weight bearing for six months. So I put on a little weight because I was doing nothing mm-hmm. and uh, lost the ability to move to my right side. And so my handicap went up to three. And then uh, about two years later, I blew my left knee out doing the same thing. <laughs> and uh, my handicap went up to five, and I've been at a five since. So, what, what, How'd you do it? How'd you blow your knees out like that? So at Avondale, we had these stairs that go down to the basement. And so inevitably, when you're young and in the business, you want to help the customer as quick as you can. So I would scoot down these steps as quick as I could. And I got about three quarters of the way down and my boss's wife popped her head around the corner of the the stairway there and I went to stop. Mm. And as I planted, my body weight went over the top of my knee. Oh. And my knee flexed backwards and I went over the top of it. And so she found me in a heap at the bottom of the stairs and said, I heard that pop. And she called 911 right away. And they took me in. That's rough. Yeah, that was really rough for a golf pro. And then the second one was uh, a couple years later, I was at Prairie Falls and went quick off the front steps at the golf course and twisted wrong and blew the meniscus out of the left knee. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm meniscus free. Yeah. Super rough. Mm. Wow. Did your knees pop now? My knees pop. They ache, um, you know, just all the time ache. Yeah. And then now you lose the ability to move either direction. It really hinders your golf game. So I don't hit it as far. I don't hit it up in the air as well as I used to. I still have a good short game, uh, so that makes it nice. At least I can still play. That's the only thing I got is my short game because I'll, I'll set up. I got a little net thing that I hit yeah. the ball into right in my backyard, and I'll just do that for two three hours yeah you know most guys wish they could do that because that's their weak point right they hit it far and they hit it good but they don't have a short game at all unfortunately usually if i'm trying to chip it to the green i'm already at like six (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well and jason right there with you yeah yeah so (laughs) so i was gonna ask you on that note about jason what would you say if you thought somebody had a handicap of 40? <laughs> uh, that would tell me that either A, they've lost and forgot everything that they learned about the game, or they just don't work at the game very much. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think he has to say handicap. Yeah. yeah. No, it's like 39. Yeah. <laughs> I was He's close. gotten better. <laughs> You're improving. Yeah, that, exactly. That, that's good. You're showing improvement. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I took a, you know, a funny story about that. I was, I, I went to college with a guy. He's, he's a pretty good golfer. Um, yeah, I was talking to you before the show that you, you coach his wife. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, I was, he was in the room and I was telling somebody, yeah, I took up golf in 1998. And he's like, well, I wouldn't say you took it up. <laughs> <laughs> good, good point. Good point. But I was, uh, I, when I started golfing, I'll say that I was in Hawaii and I played some pretty beautiful courses down oh, there. Yeah. yeah. It was super awesome. Um, and fun fact, base courses are usually very well kept and mm-hmm. very nice. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. One time I was in a station in Korea and uh, being in the Air Force and being in, in uh, a place called Kunsan, Korea, uh, they do these things called Pin Siri exercises, which is uh, all branches of the military that are stationed in Korea partake in these large exercises. And we were, uh, I was on nights and uh, we had these um, tracked um, personnel carriers, right? And uh, we were practicing driving them with night vision, right? And uh, so airmen being airmen, we take this thing out and we're just mobbing around at night because the exercises last like a week to two weeks. And um, so we're in like full chem gear, right? And except for the mask and I remember we had night vision on and the driver decides to take it through um, this area that looked pretty open. Right. But we're airmen. We don't really know what's going on. And uh, it turns out it was the golf course. Oh, no. Yeah. Turns out a tracked vehicle can do a little damage. Does a little damage on a Oops. golf course. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. So, yeah. But nobody got chewed out for that, I'm sure. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got ripped pretty hard for that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Probably because usually it's the brass, right, that like to play golf. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, destroying their play toys is not good. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably some sort of base commander that had a that's, seven that's o'clock AM out. tea yeah. time. Yeah. That's what we found out. I mean <laughs> but Yeah. Yeah. But normally they're kept up very nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. So Daryl, uh you got two kids. Two kids, yeah. I have uh, Katrina is my oldest daughter. She's 33. And then I have Alicia, who is 32. Oh, okay. Awesome. One year and 26 days apart. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. When did you figure that out? <laughs> um, well, it was funny because we were told we couldn't have kids. Oh. And then when we had the first one, the doctor says, well, you've got one, but you won't have any more after that. And then a few months later, my wife's going, God, I'm not feeling very good. And I said, What? So she went to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, you're pregnant. And she says, well, I thought you told me I couldn't get pregnant anymore. And he goes, well, no, the chances were you weren't going to get pregnant anymore. So sure. we had two back-to-back. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way because they grew up like best friends, yeah. and they got along really well. And and uh, I'm so proud of my kids. You know, they're both very successful in what they're doing. Uh, one of them works at Kootenai Hospital in the emergency room, and the other one works for a uh, orthopedic surgeon over in Spokane, and she's his scheduler for all of his surgeries. Awesome. So both of them are in the medical industry, and both of them work really hard, and they, they take pride in what they do, which is good. So That's awesome. How did they um, figure out they wanted to go in the, the medical career field? Well, their mother, my ex-wife, uh, she was in the emergency room. She was a unit secretary for the emergency room for 27 years. Wow. And uh, 
they I think they saw that in her and how much she enjoyed going to work every day and how it was different every day. You never knew what was coming through the emergency room doors. Mm. And I think that got them the bug and then, you know, just a secure position, just a secure job. You know, there's always going to be somebody in need in the medical industry. So I think that too. And just instilling in them that, you know, once you get that job, do the best job you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make it make it a lifetime job. Make it worthwhile. And I think they both took that to heart. I think that makes a big difference. Huge difference. Now, um, <clears throat> not to shift gears on you, but when did you be start coaching high school? So I started coaching high school in, uh, let's see, it would have been 95, I believe it is, um, at Coeur d'Alene High School. Um, Steve, oh boy, I forget his last name. He was the coach at the time. Uh, they had just come off of a second place finish in the state, and uh, he decided he was going to move back and be with family back in California. And uh, so the school went looking for somebody, and I knew all those kids. All those kids went to Avondale and were hanging around Avondale, and I taught a lot of those kids. And so they asked me if I would apply for the position. And I said, well, I'll, I'll apply, but... You know, chances are I don't have any golf coaching experience other than teaching golf. And I uh, met with the school, and the school said, absolutely, we would love to have you as our golf coach. We hear nothing but positive about you, and we really like you, the way you handle the kids and how you treat them. And so we started right away and working on so a lot of the same things that, that the coach did before, but I also incorporated a lot of short game and a lot of discipline – uh, actions, you know, you're responsible for your own actions. So if you mess up, there's nobody to blame. Don't blame your cohort over here who laughed in the middle of your backswing. Don't treat other people badly because of your bad golf game. But you're responsible for your game and your short game. And so we instilled that in them and we took off and we started winning and um, we won uh, my, I, I taught, uh, I coached a total of six years i think it was six or seven years at Coeur d'Alene high school and we had three state championships two runner-ups and a tie for second place wow yeah so it was it was a good run and i had some just amazing amazing kids so it made it a lot easier too yeah yeah <laughs> and then i had you know i had the fortunate thing of i had a lot of those years, I had some of my best friends who were also in the golf industry helping me coach that team. So I had my boss, Tim Morton, who was a an amazing teacher, and uh, he were, knew amazing things about short games, so that helped a lot. And then I had Ron Lewis, who was uh, got out of the golf industry. He's now at uh, the Correction Center at Geiger, and uh, he was in the golf business and he helped me for a couple of years as well must be the prison out there our prison yes Mm. prison at airway heights yeah and then um we had uh shortly thereafter after ron said he couldn't come back that he was going to do something different then we hired within from within the school and we hired brian duncan to be my assistant so when i left brian had been there a couple years and he kind of knew the basics of what I was trying to do and how I was trying to do it. So he had been a football coach and wrestling coach. So he kind of took over and he was the golf coach at that point. Once I retired, retiring from there was probably the hardest, one of the hardest decisions that I've made in my life. Uh, I loved it there. I loved being from uh, 
Coeur d'Alene High School as an alumni and coaching where I went to school. But my job was in coming to an end at Avondale, and I was getting out of the golf business, and I just thought it would be in the best interest to have somebody who could be there more all the time and be around those kids and teach those kids, keep teaching them the life lessons that they needed to learn. So. Well, it, was, it sounds like it wasn't an easy decision by any means, no, no, especially no. since you've had so much success yeah. at doing it. Right? Yeah, we had we had some we had some kids that were not necessarily the best golfers, but they stepped up the game when they needed to, mm. and that made a big difference. Mm. Um, my, my last year there, we had a, a young man who was a freshman in high school. And he got called upon because one of my other kids got disciplined and couldn't go to the district tournament. So Michael, being a freshman, is all nervous and everything because he knows about our history and how good we have been. And now we're going to go to the district tournament to see if we can go to the state tournament. So I pull him aside and I said, Michael, listen, relax, take a breath. Because realistically, we have four solid players. So if you help, all it is is good for us. If you don't help, we're still okay. So just relax, breathe. So when he gets done, he comes over and he's all excited. Shot his career round. He shot 75, which would have been fourth on the team. We would have eliminated one of the top four. So Michael signs for a wrong score on the front nine. He signs for 36 on the ninth hole rather than 36 for the total for the nine. So because he signed for a score that's higher than what he made, he's able to keep that score. Oh, no. Rather than be disqualified. Mm. So if he had signed for a score that was lower than what he made, he would be automatically disqualified. So he signs for the 36 on the front nine, which now takes his score to 100. (laughs) So he's devastated, just devastated. So I take him aside and I put my arm around him and I said, listen, dude, I told you before, relax. We're still going to state. Keep your chin up. Mm-hmm. You're going to state. And he looked at me and he goes, what do you mean? And I go, you're on the district team that won the districts. You're going to state. And then his whole demeanor just changed. <laughs> it was really cool. But, man, what a mistake, though. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Got to be disheartening. Oh, And then we had a, a year, um, our number one golfer, was in the last group of the day and we come to find out with two holes left we need him to shoot 65 for us in order to have a chance to win the state tournament and so he had been shooting right at about 71 or 72 so i'm thinking that you know just we're going to finish second or third it's not a big deal but i gathered the kids around and i said hey listen we're probably not going to win go out there and support him and encourage him on the way in. You can't talk to him, but you can clap for him. You can encourage him. Let's go out and let's do that and and encourage him on the way in. So he doesn't know any different. He doesn't know if we're going to win, lose, or whatever. So I stay away from there because I don't want to know. And I'm that way. I want these kids to be responsible for themselves and for their scores. So even during the state tournament, I would go find a place to sit and I'd read a book. And it drove some of the parents crazy. Mm, Why aren't you out there rooting my kid on? 
well, the at last that point, thing they need is me. Yeah, at that point, all the coaching's been done. It's done. Right? <laughs> yeah, so they don't need me watching over their shoulder, and if they miss a three-foot putt, giving them this stink eye. They don't need that. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, and uh, all of a sudden, the team comes over after he gets done putting out on the 18th, and now he's got to go to the scorer's table. So the team comes over, and they go, Coach, you know, sorry, dude. He, he had a bad 17th hole. I, it's okay. I mean, and I tell him. That's fine, you know. We learn from it. We move on. Maybe next year's our year. And this kid was a senior, and come to find out, they had been pulling my leg. He actually shot sixty-three. Oh wow! <laughs> so we were the state champions with him shooting sixty-three. The last they just day. wanted to see if you'd get mad or not. Mm-hmm. Huh? They wanted to see what my level of anxiety was, right. <laughs> and and it just for me, accolades, tournaments, awards. They're all a byproduct of what you do before you get there. So once you get there, it really doesn't matter. You just go and do what you've been trained to do and trust yourself and move on. And if you play good, you play good. If you don't, you don't. And I just tried to instill that in all year long. And so I was proud of them for sure. On the way home, we had a pretty good party, but it was just wasn't what i was expecting that's awesome yeah super awesome now uh for for golf what age would you say is the right age to start your kids off well i don't i don't recommend tiger's age which was two and a half yeah um, normally i say the maturity level dictates that so there are some kids who can handle it at age five most kids maturity wise are six or seven mm. sometimes eight well my youngest boy's nine and i just took him out to the dragon range for yeah. range for but he gets he's got a temper and yeah. he gets mad easily yep. and he was starting to get mad because he wasn't hitting the ball and i'm like hey man calm down yeah you've never done this ever just take a breath and i'm going to show you how to do it and then you do it as best as you can, right? And then he started, but he's he did he got he got mad, right? Mm-hmm. But that's why I hadn't taken him out before. But my oldest boy, he started at six, right? Right? And, yes. And he was that kid that just never paid attention, and he's always swinging his driver around like it's a sword <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. And I, and I was my my rule when I was coaching his little um, park and rec team, right? It was. Um, don't just swing your clubs around. Correct. That's dangerous. You don't do that. Correct. And um, he was the only one out of the, his four-man team that would break that rule consistently. Yeah. Right? Everybody else, if they did it a little bit, I'm like, hey, we don't swing our clubs, and they quit. Correct. My son, I'm setting his ball on the tee, right? I'm down on one knee setting his ball on the tee, and he comes up over the top with his driver and <laughs> whacks me in the head <laughs> accidentally. Right. You should have seen the look Oops. on his face when he did it. Yeah. But it pert near knocked me out. Mm-hmm. I was seeing stars. There's parents everywhere. <laughs> yep. The <laughs> director of the Park and Rec League, who happened to be my neighbor and knows me, was there, and everybody's looking at me wide-eyed, like, oh, what's yeah. he going to do? And I, I pulled him in close, and I whispered. I said, don't swing your clubs. We'll talk about this later, yeah. right? <laughs> and now he knows. Well, he's looking at that point. What's dad going to do? Yes. What yes. level of anxiety am I going to step to here? 
right? But he didn't swing his clubs the rest of the day Correct. or ever again yeah. That, yeah. That, during that league. We, we coach a lot of or teach a lot of group lessons at the links. And through my years, we've done group lessons. And, and we try and instill in those kids, hey, you know, you have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to be aware. And you're responsible for the golf club that's in your hand. So if you go swinging it around, you're responsible. If you hit yourself, you're responsible. If you hit somebody else, you're responsible. And we always tell them the first rule in the rules of golf, the very first rule, and you can look it up in the rule book, is safety. And be safe. And we say we put that rule there for a reason. Because that's where we're going to teach you the first thing. Mm. So I used to teach him safety. I used to take a, uh, a watermelon and I would st- put it on a range basket. And the first thing I'd do is I'd go over and I'd just drop an iron right on top of that watermelon and it'd split. And they'd go, oh my gosh. I go, that could be your head. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful. And then we'd take a golf ball and we'd hit it through the watermelon and it would explode out the other side. And I'd say, and that's why you don't walk in front of anybody hitting a golf ball, because that could be your head. Mm -hmm. And so we just teach them life lessons that way, too. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, there's a a YouTube channel that I follow, and they break stuff and whatever, but they were hitting golf balls through certain objects. And it went through, I want to say, this guy drove it through six planes of glass. Oh, yeah. You know? Just oh, yeah. square planes of glass before it finally didn't break anymore. Yeah. That's a lot of damage. That's yeah. a lot of carnage. Mm-hmm. So my my first experience with that was back in 1989. I was working at Indian Canyon, and we had a guy come in and do an exhibition. And his name was Big Cat Williams, and he was a big dude. And he could hit a golf ball a long way. At that time, it was the longest I'd ever seen a golf ball hit. And he drove a golf ball through the Spokane phone book at that time, which wow. was really thick. And he drove it right through the, the phone book. And he did it to show us how dangerous a golf ball was and the power that he generated to do it. And then if you've ever been to Indian Canyon, they have a fairly long driving range. Mm-hmm. He hit it out of the back of the driving range in the air. Holy cow. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I was at the links the other day, and I hit one out of the drain range, but it rolled out. Well, and we're only 200 <laughs> yards, <Right>. so... No, <laughs> okay. just kidding. <laughs> yeah. we're, only at, we're only sitting at 75. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you can hit it out of the back of the range right now at the links, because we're up in front of our normal teeing area, but still, yeah. it's 260 to get it out the back of the oh, range. decent. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. too bad. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good drive. Yeah. It was, but it rolled. It definitely rolled. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't, like, flying. <laughs> trouble with crazy. big cat williams is he would shoot 65 or 6 and then the next round he would shoot 81 oh because he hit it so far he never knew where it was going sort of like bryce and dechambeau now i mean he hits it far but he's going to have his good rounds and his bad rounds mm-hmm. it's just going to have to learn to balance those sometimes hitting it far isn't quite the answer not quite the answer i'd much rather have a short game than to hit it far mm-hmm. i've heard a lot of people say that yeah yeah just that's interesting so you are the you said the second oldest out of 11 yeah i am the second oldest of 11 kids um so my brother my oldest brother is uh he lives here in post or he lived in rathrum works in Coeur d'Alene. he's a caddy at the Coeur d'Alene resort okay and uh he is 
I think, six months and two days older than I am. Oh, wow. So figure that one out. <laughs> so we, uh, we, we have, him and I have the same dad, different moms. Okay. Mm. So all of my brothers and sisters, all other 10 of them, are half brothers and sisters. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so some of them have same mom, different dads. Some of them have same dad, different moms. So, but you know them all. I know them all, yeah. Um, the four on dad's side, um, two of them live locally. One is, uh, like I said, caddy at the resort. The other one is the youngest. They're twins, but he's the youngest of the boys. He lives here in Coeur d'Alene. And then my other twin brother lives in Boise. And then my other brother, the second oldest on dad's side, well, third oldest behind me, he lives in Wisconsin. And then on mom's side, I have uh, a brother who is, I think he calls himself retired, but uh, I call him retarded. Um, he, he, he well, just, brothers can do that. Yeah, he just moved to Coeur d'Alene. And, um, and then I have a sister who is, uh, lives in Coeur d'Alene. Um, my other sister lives in Spokane Valley. I have a sister who lives in Rathdrum with my mom and my other brother, my youngest brother. And then I have a brother who I have not uh, spoken to since 1985. Oh, wow. And I have no idea where he is. Uh, the last report I heard was that he was selling drugs in Alaska. Oh, but yeah. who knows where that ended up or yeah. what happened. So, so I got a lot of siblings. Um, growing up, you know, on mom's side, I went on mom's side of the family. We had seven kids all together that were in the house at one time and we lived in a single wide trailer so we had three boys in one room and three girls in the other room and then mom and dad had their room mm. so we were always fighting for whatever we could get yeah space anything. space food you name it yeah, yeah. so mm. it was it was a lot of fun growing up but <laughs> i wouldn't change it for the world because yeah. it taught me a lot of life lessons that way so so how did you get into golf so I dabbled in golf. It's funny because I never played golf until maybe my eighth grade year. And my mom, who was trying to be resourceful, was cleaning house for a gal uh, twice a week that owned the Playland Pier, the amusement park that was down off Independence Point in Coeur d'Alene. Oh, okay. And uh, so she was cleaning house for her, and as she's cleaning the house, this lady brought out a set of ladies' starter set spalding irons and woods in a bag, and they were brand new. And she gave them to my mom, and my mom says, well, what am I going to do with these? And she goes, well, they were given to me, and I will never play golf. I'm too old and don't feel like I can handle the sport. So give them to your son, Daryl. And I want him to learn how to play golf so that he can support you when you're old. Wow. Yeah. And so I took that starter set and I went up and I just basically through watching guys hit on the driving range and watching their discipline and how they learn to play golf. I would pick their brain. I would sit out there on the range and I would talk to them and there were some good players back then. There was Chris Mitchell and Al Scarth and um, Ray Vaudrell and, and just some guys that were really good golfers. And I would pick their brain and, and then I would try and emulate their swing. And I still had these old clubs that 
I mean, the heads were wooden drivers that were about the size of a pea. <laughs> and it weighed 40 pounds. And weighed 40 pounds. <laughs> and then the irons were just straight blades that were stiff shaft, and you just couldn't hit them hardly. And I learned to play golf. And uh, I would spend hours upon hours on the putting green and around the putting green learning to chip and putt because everybody that I talked to said that's where you became better. And I wanted to be better. So my sophomore year in high school, I went out for the golf team. And I remember to this day, Coach Krause was a wonderful man, but he was he was cruel sometimes. Mm. So he said, we're going to have a playoff to see who goes to the next match. And I go, oh, man, I'm going to get to try out for the golf team. I might make a, I might make a travel squad. And I was probably shooting mid-90s at that point. So he says, here's the four who are going to the first tee, and I want them all to play against each other, and there's one spot. And I went, okay. So there was myself, um, another now go- retired golf professional, Clint Sullivan. Uh, him and I battled a lot through our years in high school. And, and then there was another kid, and then there was a girl. And I looked at Krause, and I go, we're not playing against a girl, are we? And he goes, you go out and play golf, and whoever is the lowest score in your group gets to travel with the team. So we go out, and um, I shot 94, I think, that round. Clint Sullivan shot 89. Now the kid shot like 99. And Mary DeLong, back then it was, yeah, Mary DeLong shot 70. <laughs> Holy cow. And kicked the snot yeah, out of all of us. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even competition. So we went back to Krause and we said, what in the heck? And he goes, I knew that would happen, but I wanted you to see what a good player was. And so it kind of, again, taught us life lessons and how mm. to do that and how to accept humility and getting whooped. Because mm. we got whooped by a woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mary went on to play on the LPGA Tour for a while. Oh. So we can say that we played against her. So we had good players back then, and then my junior, senior year, I played number six, seven on the team and made a couple travel squads, and then my senior year, I played number five, and we traveled a little bit and had a good time. That's awesome. That's I mean, I want to get my kids into golf. I was, uh, I don't know, maybe two years ago, I was looking at uh, scholarship opportunities, right, for uh, for females. <clears throat> now I don't know what the rules are since you can just say you're a female. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> We're not getting into the politics. Yeah, here. don't get no. me started. But um, so the easiest ways for females to get scholarships. Now this was two years ago, so it might have changed, but I doubt it. Number one was rowing, mm-hmm. and so I'm not very tall. My wife is not tall, so our kids are not, not going to be rowers, right? Because yeah. you have to be pretty tall to do that. But my youngest daughter is very loud, and she's very little, so she could be a coxswain. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You know, she yeah, could, never she's know. good at yelling, people. Yeah. And then, um, so that's number one. Number two is golf, yep. and number three is gymnastics. Yeah. And so, I, I definitely want to like encourage my kids to get into golf. I think one of the coolest things, like you were talking about with uh, with your kid, um, getting somewhat angry. I'm I'm a little bit like that in the fact that in golf, you can only really be mad at yourself. That's it. Yeah. 
which I mean, it's not like I mean, you watch basketball or whatever. The other team might do amazing in golf. It's it's all on you. Like, yeah. See, but what I wanted to do was make sure because it was it was packed that day. I mean, we barely got two spots, two right. lanes, and and if I wanted to hit a ball or two, I'd, I'd step up and tell tell my oldest boy to step back for a minute. But I did not want him yelling at himself <laughs> right? while there's other golfers yeah. out there trying to hit. Yeah. So I'm like, you got to be quiet. Just calm down. <laughs> we, we've had that out there. We've had, you know, be out teaching or out on the range and you'll hear some guy just screaming at his golf ball. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, that golf ball didn't do anything to you. Also, it can't hear you. <laughs> Correct. You're the one who hit that golf ball. That's the reason it went where it did. Yeah. So, yeah. Golf's a fun sport that way. Now, now with uh, with your daughters, did uh, they play golf? My my two daughters played golf. Um, my oldest daughter played until she was a uh, a sophomore in high school, and uh, I never put any pressure on my kids. I taught them a little bit, but then I had somebody else teach them, mm. and I never put any pressure on my kids. I always told them, "If you want to golf, I'll help you however I can, but you have to want to do it." And if you don't want to do it, I'm not going to push you to do it. Mm-hmm. And my oldest daughter was, she would shoot right about 100, and she was like number three or four on her golf team at that time. Uh, she was at Lake City High School. And they had a pretty good golf team. And, you know, the thing about girls in, in high school is they're very susceptible. Mm-hmm. They're very vulnerable. And my daughter, uh, her second match of the year, maybe third match of the year, her sophomore year, was up at Hidden Lakes, which is now the Idaho Club in Sandpoint. And Hidden Lakes was brutal. I mean, you you could go up there and shoot a big number real quick. Mm-hmm. And so we got done and um, got back to the house, and she didn't talk about her golf game. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to push her. I'm not going to ask her too much about it because she may have shot a big number and I didn't want her to be embarrassed or anything. And so the next day I came home from practice early because I had a meeting to go to and my daughter's sitting in the, the house. She didn't go to practice. I'm like, what in the heck? Mm-hmm. I said, something's not right here. So I said to her, didn't you have practice today? And she said, no, I didn't have practice today. And I said, oh, okay, well, maybe coach can cancel practice. Who knows? You know, sometimes coaches have things go on too in life. And the very next day I come home and she was home again. So I took her aside and I said, okay, so what's up? Because something's wrong here. You're not at practice. If you're not at practice, your team is suffering a little mm-hmm. bit because you're part of the team. She goes, Dad, she says, I quit golf. I said, what do you mean you quit golf? She goes, I never want to embarrass you. And I said, where did that come from? So she cried for a little bit, and she goes, Dad, she says, I know you're proud of the fact that you're a golf professional, and I never want to embarrass you ever. And I said, you, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You, there's no way you could embarrass me. And she goes, well, Dad, up at Hidden Lakes, I shut my high score of my life I shot 116 and I said okay and she goes and the golf professional said isn't it embarrassing for your dad to hear that bad oh no so this dad got on the phone and called the golf professional up at Hidden Lakes and I said 
what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, he says, I was just kidding around with her. And I go, you have to be careful. When you're dealing with high school kids, they're so vulnerable and they're mm-hmm. so susceptible to hearing things that you may be kidding, but and they're not. And suggestion. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. So once she quit, my youngest daughter quit. Mm. And she would not play because she didn't want to embarrass me either. So I tried and tried and tried, and I, I kept telling them there's no way they could embarrass me. I don't care if you shoot 150. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter to me because you're out there, you're trying, you're being a team player. So they both quit. My oldest daughter, I don't think to this day, has picked up a golf club. Oh, wow. My youngest daughter, since she has um, probably been 23 or 24, has picked up the game again, and she plays when she can, Yeah, and she just has fun. And she'll tell me, Dad, I played golf today, but all I did was have fun. Yeah, And I go, that's all I want you to do. It's a life lesson game, and it's a lifelong game. Mm-hmm. But you need to have fun when you're doing it. Because if you're not, it's not good for you. It's not mentally good for you mm-hmm. to beat yourself up so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she still plays. She's a, she's a decent player. She'll shoot 100, mm-hmm. right around 100. Yes. So that's awesome I, I that's one of my biggest regrets in high school was like uh i always thought you know active sports were the cool thing to do you know and uh <clears throat> i was never interested in golf and the fact that it just seemed boring like you're not playing against anybody and then i went golfing for the first time um i think i was in italy <clears throat> um just as something to do and i realized how awesome it was mm-hmm. and i've regretted that so much in fact like i could have done it in high school went to all over the place you know mm-hmm. and had a lot of fun but uh yeah that's definitely something i'm not gonna let my and, and my dad plays golf which is the most frustrating thing is i'm like why didn't you tell me the game is awesome you get to go to like this the most beautiful areas Correct. you know and, and uh you know have a beer you can smoke a cigar like awesome and he might have been like me he didn't want to put pressure on you to do anything that you may not want to do and that's the way i live my life i don't push my kids to do anything they don't want to do but at the same time if they want to do something i'm going to do everything with my within my power to help them and make it accessible to them yeah yeah that's very wise now i've got grandkids <laughs> eight and seven so my eight-year-old is just about ready i just bought her her first set of golf clubs and awesome my seven-year-old's a hell on wheels so yeah. to speak so he's going to be just another year or two yeah. and then we'll see how he's doing a little more maturity uh, yeah. yeah all right well on that note we're going to take a break perfect Jason and I want to start a quote of the week, and we want your help. If you have a funny, motivating, or otherwise dastardly quote, hit us up at dadfactors at gmail.com. If you want to, or know someone who would be an entertaining guest on the show, you can contact us with the same email. That's dadfactors at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support us, there are a number of ways you can help us out. First, you can give us a five-star rating. Next, you can give us a comment, which is the main way the ranking algorithm works in podcasts. So is that like the rating and the comment? Yeah, yeah that would be the way it works both, out. Like both of them together? Yeah, combo okay. package if checking, you could. If know. you could, yeah. Um, and both of, those, both of those help us reach more people. 
Lastly, if you'd like to buy us a beer, there's a way for you to do that as well. You can go to anchor.com slash dadfactors and click the support link. Now there you can buy us uh, some cheap beer or you can buy us some restaurant level beer. But either way, we appreciate you listening to the show. And we're back. Back. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> it's nice to be back. It's had some great conversation during the break. Yeah, exactly. I like I always like telling my eagle story because I only have one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Changes every time though. No, it doesn't. It doesn't change at all. Uh, so uh entries on the golf course injuries on the golf course we've had a few yeah yeah we had um, my very first injury that i remember in the golf business was um i was at Downriver, and i was the assistant on duty and i get the call uh, we have somebody down on 16 which was a par five fairly long par five up and around the hill and i thought oh man so I had my uh, shop help stay in the shop, and I got in a golf cart, and I buzzed out there. And by the time I get there, I look, and there's a gal on the 17th bench, and she's got a towel over her face. And I said, okay, so tell me what's happened. And they said, well, we've already called the ambulance. It's on its way. And she got hit with a golf ball in the face. Ooh. And I went, how did that happen? And... Uh, the guy who was behind him comes up and he goes, I did it. And I go, what do you mean you did it? And he goes, well, they've been playing slow all day. I yelled at him two or three times and I got fed up and I hit one and it hit her in the face. <laughs> and I go, well, dude, there's some trouble for you because yeah. you're going to get arrested for assault. And he goes, I can't be arrested for assault. I didn't do anything. And I go, but you did. You admitted to me that you hit into her a couple of times so i go over and i check on her because i knew her from being at the golf course and i lifted the towel and the golf ball had caught her on the side of the nose mm. and it had actually taken her nose off of her face it was just laying over on the side so she had three or four different surgeries 30 some stitches to put it back on um, had to have a re, uh, cosmetic surgery, et cetera. And he got uh, three days in jail and had yeah. to pay a big fine. Oof. And admitted to the cop when he got there, I hit into her a couple of different times and she wouldn't pick up the pace. <laughs> so I always tell that story to people too. You know, you have to be careful when you've got a slow group in front of you. They don't mean to be slow, but don't pressure them. Don't yeah. hit into them. That does nobody any good. If you want to be really that much in a hurry, go around them. Just skip a hole. Right. Who cares? Well, and and as the slow as the slow group, right? Yeah. Every once in a while, um, me being that person, um, sometimes not all the time, I've said, okay, we'll go ahead and play through on the next hole. Yeah. You know, I'll Absolutely. I don't mind waiting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I, and if you're the slow group, I've been in slow groups, and just said, hey guys. Let's go to the next tee box. We'll wait, and we'll let this group go through, and then we'll fall in behind them. Yep. And it just solves a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. um, I've had people hit with golf clubs uh, a lot. Um, you know, teaching golf, even teaching golf. Uh, I've been hit myself with golf clubs. Uh, when I was at Avondale, uh, in two years, I went through four watches. 
Mm. where I would tell people, okay, hold up right there and whack. They'd bring the club down and catch me on the back of the wrist and just shatter my watch. And so you just got to be careful and and know that they're a dangerous object, golf balls and golf clubs. And again, you're responsible for that golf club or that golf ball. Well, I learned real fast, real fast when I was teaching my oldest boy. Oh, yeah. Um, Because at one point, you know, at some point you're standing behind him and trying to teach him a little bit of this and that. And I I learned really fast that you go, now wait till I'm – far enough away (laughs) and i tell you go ahead and hit it right and even good players you know good player is going to swing faster Mm -hmm. so i'll tell them okay now put it in that position but you wait until i'm out of the way before you bring that club down and uh there's been a couple couple close calls junior golf you know we always have an incident every two or three four years we'll have some kid who's swinging the golf club when he shouldn't and he'll Mm. catch another kid across the top of the forehead and three or four (laughs) stitches later that kid's back at camp the next week or whatever right it's it is it's you just got to be safe yeah so the most common the most common injury with uh with golf probably heat exhaustion maybe yeah i've had a few um heat exhaustion cases um i had a young lady when i say young she i think she was 76 or Mm. seven um i was teaching her a couple years ago and i was out on the range and it had to have been august pretty hot but she still wanted her golf lesson and so this was nine o'clock in the morning so not super hot yet and she had swung the club like three or four times in a row and then all of a sudden she looked at me and she goes i don't think i'm doing so Mm. And then she face planted. And so I get freaked out by that. And, you know, I go and get a towel and get her laid down on a bench and, you know, just wait there. EMTs are on their way. We're going to get you taken care of. And she was adamant that she didn't want any help. And I said, I don't care if you want help or not. Help is on the way because we don't know what has happened to you during that fall or during this heat. And, uh, it's been good i mean she for the most part people are pretty good about it Mm -hmm. i've had a couple heart attacks uh, on the golf course that's always the scary one because you don't know uh if you're there in time Uh, had a guy at avondale on the 17th hole we get the call in the shop hey we got tom down up here so we go up and everybody's standing around watching you know he's got a little group gathered around him and he's he's down and mm-hmm. everybody's standing watching and i said okay you come help me yeah we're going to start doing compressions we're going to start back then you breathe for him and so we did uh, cpr on him uh for about 12 minutes until emts could get there they took over uh five days later he walked in the golf shop and thanked us that's mm-hmm. awesome for saving his life <clears throat> and then three weeks later he passed away oh Oh, wow. Yeah. So it gave him a reprieve. It gave him a chance to enjoy life a little bit longer. Yeah. But, And then we had a gentleman out at the links a few years ago. Uh, I pull up to work and a person runs out and he says, hey, he says, we got somebody down on number two. And I said, okay. I said, I'm on my way. So stuff like that, I don't get in a golf cart because golf cart's going to be useless to me once I get there if I need to transport them or whatever mm-hmm. I need to do. 
So I took my truck and I just went down the number one fairway as fast as I could. And I was, I think I was doing 55 or 60 going <laughs> past number one green. And guys are looking at me while they're putting going, yeah. what in the heck? Yeah. yeah. So we get to number two and he had already passed away. Mm. And so we just blocked off the front nine and made everybody move over to the back nine. And they played the back nine only that day. And EMTs came and then they pronounced him dead. And yeah. then we had to wait for the coroner and do all the paperwork and all that. But yeah, you just never know what you're going to get into. Every day is different in the golf business, mm-hmm. which is intriguing. And at the same time, a little scary every day. Yeah. So yeah, what scares me are those holes that have like a, a makeshift mirror so you can oh, see yeah. what's oh, down yeah. below you oh, or yeah. around the corner. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm always afraid there's that guy in the tree line, right, relieving himself, yeah. and then I go, okay, well it's clear, yep. and then he comes out right as I hit. Yeah, we've we've had a few of those when I worked at the canyon, you know, and on number um, three they had a mirror that you looked at mm-hmm. to see who was down in the hole and. We had several people hit or near hit, and you just you tell them, you know, people can't see you, so make yourself as visible as you can. If you're down in the hole and one of your guys is in the trees, let him be in the trees and the rest of you stand out in the fairway so that you're seen and not the group behind you is not going to hit you. Mm-hmm. So just ways to get around that. But, yeah, those are scary shots. Mm. So being a uh, high school coach, yes, <clears throat> what would you say to somebody who's thinking about teaching golf? Um, for high schoolers if, if you're going to be a high school golf coach um, and you're going to be the head coach there's a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. there is um, of course you have to deal with not only the administration you have to deal with the athletic director on a daily basis um, you have to deal with the golf course where you're going to go every day um, you have to deal with the administration as far as buses for your matches making sure kids get there on time. You deal with parents, you know, and that's a chore in and of itself. Yeah. Um, you deal with the kids themselves because inevitably as a golf coach, you're going to have that match where you have to go to Clarkston, Washington, and you have to leave at 4.30 in the morning to get mm-hmm. there. And somebody's going to miss the bus mm-hmm. or forget about the bus. And my rule was always, again, you're responsible for yourself. I don't care what your parents said. I don't care if your parents forgot you. You're responsible for yourself. You can get up. You can get your parents awake. You can get Mm -hmm. them to take you to the bus. You are responsible. So several times throughout my career, I had kids who missed the bus. And they would want to catch up to the bus and get on the bus. Or they would want to meet us at the golf course down there. And I always told them, if you can't be responsible enough to get to the bus, stay home and go to school. Mm. Because at that point, we're already planning for you to not be there. Mm -hmm. And realistically, if you miss the bus... I don't want your parents driving Mach 5 to get to Potlatch, Idaho to catch us at the rest area to put you on the bus. Mm -hmm. I want them to be safe and you to be safe. You stay home and go to school. And don't stay home and not go to school because then you have bigger ramifications for Mm -hmm. me. So dealing with all of those things is really, really, really intricate and hard sometimes as a head golf coach. Um I help out the Lakeland golf team a little bit right now. I consider myself their fourth assistant golf coach. 
And I like that position. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't have to be at practice every mm-hmm. day. I can go out and help when I can. If I don't want to go out and help, I don't have to. And at the same time, I get to help some kids and, and give some knowledge to the coaches that are there. Because I've been around it and in it so long, mm-hmm. I can tell them, hey, you know, you might want to watch this kid or you might want to watch that kid. Because they're out with the team, they may not see some of the things these kids are doing. So I keep my eyes open for them on that end too. Mm. So I like the fourth assistant position a lot better than the head coaching <laughs> the head position. Coach. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> so what do you say to somebody? Um, I mean, you're, you're obviously still in love with the game. How do you keep that love going? Well, uh, there's a couple of ways to do it. Um, For me, I've been in the game so long, um, I think there's just a natural love of being around people and and being around people who are excited about golf. Uh, For me, I think I gained a love back for the game uh, when I married my new wife. Mm. Um, I got divorced three, almost four years now ago, and I had a wife who didn't play golf. And so it was tough because yeah. I'm at the golf course for 60 hours a week and then I want to go play golf. She doesn't understand that. So I found a woman who plays golf, who loves golf more than I do, which is hard. <laughs> but she's adamant that she loves to play golf and wants to play golf any chance she gets. So that brings back some of the love of the game too because there are times when I've been at work and I've worked my 60 or 70 hours a week and I get a day off and the last thing I want to do is go back to the golf course. And she'll say, but you want to play golf with me. (laughs) And I'll say, of course I do, dear. (laughs) Let's go to the golf course. (laughs) So, And we travel a little bit. We play golf. Normally right now if we get a day off, which is normally right now Sundays. Uh, we've been taking and going over to Thompson Falls, Montana, Plains, Montana, mm. playing these little nine-hole courses and having fun. St. Nice. Regis. Uh, we love the Thompson Falls and Plains area. We really do. It's it's almost like Post Falls used to be. Yeah, People are friendly. There's not a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me of my growing up days. Mm-hmm. And she's getting to be really good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. We won't, we won't tell you who won last Sunday at Plains, Montana, <laughs> when I shot 40 and she shot 37. Oh. Well, I think you just told us. <laughs> yeah. So, but she she was good about it. She hasn't bragged yeah, too, much too much about it, knowing how hurt my feelings are. That's awesome. But having that in my life again makes it fun and exciting to go back and play golf even if i'm not at the caliber that i was once Mm -hmm. i look at shooting 82 or 83 as a bad day for me and she has to keep reminding me there are some people that 82 or 83 is a really good Mm -hmm. score Mm -hmm. that's a pretty good day for me i gotta say you know i I, i've gotten better over the years yeah but that ain't saying a whole lot yeah (laughs) so Having her play as good as she does and the love of the game, and I see the excitement in her game, mm-hmm. brings some of that love of the game back to me too. Awesome. Because you could lose it. As a golf professional, you're at the golf course so much, and especially as a, a director of golf or head golf professional, you're at the golf course so much, and people want so much of your time 
that the last place you want to be on your day off is to go back there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, it makes sense. Yeah. Do you ever just, uh, you know, go hit 18 at the links on your day off? You know, we don't play the links on my day off. <laughs> we, we try and get away as much as we can because I'm there so much, yeah. but we will play in, you know, if, we, if there's a charity event at the links, you know, uh, we played, uh, um, the canine tournament last year for post falls charity fundraiser. Uh, we played the big beer tournament, which is for new beginnings, which is a military support group. Um, we, we play in those things. We support them. Uh, we pay our entry fee just like everybody else, mm-hmm. even though realistically, why am I paying a green fee at right. my own golf course? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we pay those. We want to support those groups, and we believe in those groups. And and so we, we want to support them and let them know that they're cared about and that we, we love them to be there. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Super awesome. Yeah. I uh, <clears throat> Jason and I played in a tournament. But last year, year before, it year was before. Po- yeah. it was pre-COVID for year sure. Uh, the big Kahuna, oh in, yeah, in uh, yeah. Spokane, played oh, yeah. a couple times. Yeah, super awesome. Yeah. yeah, we had. I thought we shot great. I, I think our team, because <laughs> it's best ball, right? Right. Yeah. And our team came in what nine minus ten. Yeah, something like that. We yeah, good. yeah. Top top team <clears throat> was it Ripken? Something like that. Was, yeah. Anyway, Ripken, Ripken, Mark, Mark. Yeah, it was Ripken. Yeah, Mark or Tim. Yeah. Yeah, well, the Rippin guys showed up and uh, they shot a minus twenty, so we ended up with I think like eighth place at yeah. minus ten, and yeah. I thought, man, we're going, we're doing great. Yeah. You know, yeah. we always say in scrambles, we're there to support the group mm. and we're there to have fun, and if we win something, it's all the better. Yeah, mm-hmm. because inevitably we we played in the Lakeland Booster Tournament many years in a row to support Lakeland High School, and. One year we came in and we shot 20 under par at the links. And it was a pretty windy day, wow. which it can be at the links. Yeah. And we sat down and we thought, well, we got a chance. And there were two teams ahead of us, 123 under and 122 under. Holy cow. And we went, okay. <laughs> now I got to tell you, I played, I played links a couple of times yeah. bef- before I moved to Post Falls. And um, there's that hole where it's got the railroad. Uh-huh. Right to the left yep. of it, and I inevitably always get my ball on the wrong side of that fence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I don't know how I do it because I'm not a left hitter very often. Yeah, it's just the intimidation factor mm. there at the links. Between that and number nine, the par six, it's it's those two holes bring people to their knees more often than not. <laughs> at one point, I thought, oh, I'm going to go through this fence and go get my ball. No, no, it does not work that way. <laughs> Not with that fence. Yeah, and they uh, they remind you, they have signs up there now that mm-hmm. they remind you that that's railroad property yeah. and it is not a good offense to be on the other side of that fence. Right. <laughs> we see more railroad police now than we ever have. Yeah. Because uh, they don't want people on that railroad property now mm-hmm. with all of the stuff that's going on with terrorism and everything. Yeah, so. and rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So we remind our golfers as much as we can you know, railroad property is railroad property. Link's property is Link's property. You're taking your own life into your own hands when you step across that fence. So, so Daryl, how old were you when you had your first child? Who boy. Now you're going to make me think. <laughs> I think I was 25 years old. 25. 25. Uh, that's a good age. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so she's 33. I'll be 58 in June, so I think I was 25 years old. Uh, and you were big into golf, right, when you first had your first job? Correct. I was I was a golf professional at uh, Downriver, um, and for a, a lot of the time, my first couple of years, I was either in the shop or on the range trying to work on my game. And I kicked myself a little bit for not spending more time with my newborn um, because those are important years. And, you know, they people think, well, geez, they're just newborns. Mm-hmm. But they're forming relationships with you and you're forming relationships with them even at that age. So I do kick myself a little bit for not spending more time. But uh, shortly thereafter, when they get a little bit bigger, then I spent more time with them as well. So it, it balanced a little bit. Yeah, for for me, at least with my kids, and I spent a little bit of time with them uh, when they were newborns and, and stuff like that. But when they started getting out of diapers, that's when it got fun yeah. for me. Yeah, I mean, it was just like a, a switch flipped yeah. for me. And, and I'm like, oh, well, this is great. Right. You know, but... Um, now my kids are a little bit older and stuff, and and now they can start doing chores, you right. know, right, and, and doing them right without me supervising them, right, which is a big deal. Yes, that way I can go do something else right. while they're cleaning their bathroom or their room or whatever, yeah. and and not worry too much about it. But right. Yeah, it's uh, but but I do I do kind of wish I'd spent more time with them. At that Absolutely, age too. and you know, being in the golf business, there were several nights when I would bring them to the golf course. You know, and and there were two girls, mm-hmm. so they wouldn't go out and hit golf balls or anything. But they would sit in the shop and visit, and and then I would take them home after work and and have dinner with them and that kind of thing. And um, I think if you were to ask my girls, my girls would say they didn't see their dad enough, but they understood why they didn't see their dad enough because I was trying to make a life that was good for them as well. I was trying to support them and and give them things that normally they wouldn't have had. And so there's a balance there that's really hard um, as a parent Mm -hmm. because you want to spend all your time with your kids. And at the same time, if you have any kind of a job at all, you've got to take the time to make money to support your family. Mm -hmm. And so that's a hard balance Mm -hmm. back and forth between those two. And I think if you ask my kids, they would say that I tried to do the best job I could at balancing. If you ask my ex-wife, I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just one of those things that happens. Well, that's par for the course, as yes. they say, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. so what would you say to a kid who's, let's say, a freshman in high school, and yeah. their dream is to become a professional golfer? Okay. I get, I get that a lot. I actually, even beyond freshman in high school, I get that question a lot from kids and from from adults even you know what does it take to be a golf pro Mm -hmm. on tour and i'll say you have to understand that those guys that are out on tour have made it a career Mm -hmm. they've made it their life so i use the example i had a kid that i worked with in spokane and he was a super good kid i mean just one of the best kids i've been around this kid would get up at five in the morning and he would go to the golf course. Then he would go to school. Then when school was over, he'd go back to the golf course. And he'd be at the golf course until dinner. Then once dinner was over, he would go back to the golf course and hit oh, wow. putts and chips until dark. And then he'd get up and do it again the next day. 
his parents used to take him to Arizona every winter and he would golf down there the same way. <laughs> At one point I talked to him and he had played 368 days in a row and practiced 368 days in a row for at least two hours. One of the best players I've ever seen. Yeah. And then he burned out. So in his process of trying to get his dream, which he got part of his dream, he got an offer to go to Arizona University on a golf scholarship. He went down there. Once he was down there, he burned out. Mm. And he quit golf. And I talked to him about seven or eight years ago. First time I'd seen him since he got back from Arizona. I said to him, so how did, how did that happen? And he goes, just too much. It was mm. just too much for me. And I said, so you, how's your golf game? He goes, I haven't played. He says, I'm going to play in my first scramble tournament next week. And he says, I've told the guys, if I quit after three holes, you know why. <laughs> Because I can't handle it. Yeah, he says it's just the stress of that and the anxiety of that is too much. So I talked to him about four years ago, and he's back to playing recreational golf mm. with his buddies. But he says I don't care if I shoot a hundred. I don't care if I shoot ninety. It's not about that anymore. So there's a point at which you can go too far, mm -hmm. and then some of the guys don't go far enough because they think they're good but there's a lot of good players out there mm -hmm. so everybody who goes to high school i think the percentage is 12 percent of those will go to college and play college golf wow one percent of those will go on a tour somewhere of that one percent one tenth of a percent will ever play on a national tour wow <laughs> So you're saying there's a chance. There's, oh, there's always a chance. You know, we have we have a couple local stories. We have uh, right now Joel Damon, who just won two weeks ago. He's a kid from Clarkston, Washington. Oh. When I was coaching at Coeur d'Alene High School, he was playing for Clarkston, Washington. Just in high school, he was a hothead mm. because he wanted everything so perfect. Mm -hmm. we, te we teased his coach. He had the record for one season – 47 broken wedge shafts. Jeez. I saw him hit a shot on the par five at Clarkston. He hit it to about eight feet above the hole and spun it back, and it spun back 12 feet below the hole, and he broke his wedge in half. And I looked at his coach, and I said, what in the heck? And he goes, he wanted that to either go in or be two feet away. <laughs> and I go, he, he's too young. He can't do that. And he goes, wow. Trust me, that's the way his mind thinks. <clears throat> and then Derek Bailey is a kid from Rathdrum. He's playing on the Outlaw Tour in Arizona, but he won on the um, he won a Web.com Tour event last year and played on the PGA Tour in the Barracuda Challenge this last year. Oh wow! And uh, he missed making the cut on the PGA Tour by one shot, mm -hmm. and that would have changed his whole outlook that would have changed everything about him because he would have been exempt for the next five events. But now he's back trying to work his way back up again. So it's, it's tough, mm. you know, and Alex Prue out of uh, Spokane played at, uh, um, uh, played high school golf in Spokane when I was coaching. 
he wasn't the best player in Spokane. And he played on the PGA Tour and made a lot of money as a PGA Tour player. But he will tell you, it was a grind every day out there. He never left the golf course. So if you didn't make the cut, you got on a car or an airplane and you went to the next event and you practiced until the event started. Mm. And then you do four days of golf. A lot of times five and five days of golf because you have a pro-am before the event. So you're doing five days of golf in a row. If you make the cut, but you don't necessarily finish in the top so many, you're still playing those five days. Then you get on a car or an airplane and you go to the next event. <laughs> and they'll play 25, 30 events in a year. So they're always on the go. They're always going somewhere and practicing somewhere. They never leave golf. Mm. And it takes that kind of commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that. Yeah. That's, that's crazy commitment. <laughs> crazy commitment. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like a job. It's just like a job. Yeah. You go there, you work on your game, 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 and when you're done, now you can go have fun and play golf. It's just crazy. It's a different mm. level. <laughs> so super crazy yeah i'm glad i'm so i i used to get mad at my golf score you know just i mean i would just be so upset at the end of the day and just man what happened what did i do i i made this decision to do that and then i didn't execute or whatever um but now if i get to hole three and i've already shot five over par i just don't keep score the rest of the day yeah. <laughs> i don't care yeah you know and you, have, you have to be that way a little <laughs> I'm just bit. Just gonna have fun. Even at even at our our level where we were competitive at one time, you still have to be that way, because some. And I tell her, my wife, this all the time. You have to leave the past in the past, and that would be something that I would teach high school kids. Mm. Uh, I had a real good friend of mine, and he gave me this life lesson. He bought me a bell for my first head pro job. And he brought that bell in and he goes, anytime anybody has an issue, have them go over and ring the bell. And I said, Josh, what are you talking about? He says, go over and ring the bell. So I went over and rang the bell. He goes, now go unring the bell. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you can't change what you already did. Worry about what's ahead of you. And to me, that's a huge lesson for people in golf. You may have hit a bad shot. Don't dwell on that. Move forward. Worry about the next shot because the next shot can make up for that shot. And if you had two bad shots in a row, okay, so you did. Worry about the next shot. And that's a hard thing to do. I call it playing with blinkers on, like horse blinkers. Mm. Always looking ahead. Blinders, Always focusing, yeah. mm-hmm. focusing ahead and not worrying about what's around you or what's behind you. Yeah. Because those are things that you can't control. Well, it's a great lesson. I mean, it's a you can apply that to almost anything. You know, work, relationships, absolutely, life. Yeah, life in general. Yeah, yeah. Because how many decisions have we made in our lives that necessarily weren't the best decisions? Mm-hmm. I can think of a few college people that uh, in college probably didn't make some good decisions, <laughs> but you became a better person because of those decisions mm-hmm. if you left them behind in college and you went on about your way and became a better person because of it. Yeah. So so how old were you when you learned that lesson? Uh, that would have been, I would have been about 
42 or three. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So later. Yeah. I mean, when I became a good player, which would have been 88, my golf coach at the time, Randy Henry, really tried to enforce that in me. You know, whatever happens, just leave it back there. Just keep going forward. But it didn't make sense to me. I mean, in a way it did because I became a good player and I could leave some shots behind. But at the same time, there were times when I would miss hit a shot in a golf tournament and it would carry over for three or four holes. I'd still have it in the back mm-hmm. of my mind. Guy, I missed that three and a half footer back there three holes ago that I can't go back and change. But when Josh presented that to me about the bell, it kind of like the light bulb went on. I was like, man, I can't go unring that bell. I can't do it. I am using that on my yeah, kids, by the way. Absolutely. One hundred percent I'm absolutely. Using that. Yeah, that's great. That was one of the best less life lessons I ever learned was Josh, who worked for me at the time, he just said, You just can't change with the past. Because I said to him, Josh, I missed opportunities along the way in golf. I missed opportunities to be a better golf pro or to move up in the ranks of the golf pro business. And he said, you can't change that. That's why you're at where you're at. There's a reason you're here. There's a reason you're doing what you're doing today. And because of that is what has led you up to that. Michelle, my wife and I talk about that all the time. We've led separate lives and we've gone through our disasters in relationships and we've both been divorced and and you know we we led totally different lives she came from kansas i came from post falls idaho Mm. and somehow god brought us together but all the stuff that we did in our lives brought us together and so that's a huge huge thing that we have to keep reminding ourselves of is she's the reason that i am who i am today all the stuff that I did in my life leading up to this is what led me to be who I am today. Mm-hmm. Why am I disappointed in that? Yeah, absolutely. You can't be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what a great lesson. I mean, uh, to look forward, not look backwards. Absolutely. I, I mean, anyone can relate that to, I think, relationships. You absolutely. Know, like, relationships, every- or I'm thinking like my son's hockey. Yeah. Right? You know, you're going to have a bad practice. You're going to have good practice. You're going to have a bad shift. Right. But he, he, come, <laughs> but he comes home from a good practice and he's all high and, right. and, and, and in, in a great mood and he's running all over the place and he's high on life, right? And yep. then he comes home from a bad practice. He's downtrodden. He's got a bad mood, you know, and it's like, and I try to, and I try to talk to him and I try to tell him, look, you're the only one that control, that can control your attitude, Correct. you know, but I don't deserve for, for you to, to be a jerk to me because because you had a bad practice i didn't do anything right but now that i know about the bell (laughs) and i would if i I was using that i'd go buy a bell i am gonna oh trust me (laughs) and and i just tell him hey go ring the bell yeah and he'll look at you oh not this again Mm -hmm. but in his mind he's getting that idea and keep forwarding it. Yeah, and if you do it more than once, if you do it uh, multiple, multiple Correct. times, eventually they're going to go, okay, I can't unring the bell. Mm-hmm. I, you know, let, let me focus on what I'm doing yeah. right now. Yeah. Because they're going to go, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> so I used to tell my golf kids, there's no highs and lows. That's life. 
life's going to present us highs and lows. How we deal with highs and lows is what makes us a better player, a better human being. Because when life throws a bunch of crap at us, we need to know how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And when life throws us the elation that comes sometimes, we need to know how to deal with that. Because what may seem exciting and powerful to us, we might start celebrating, this guy just lost. Yeah. How do we make him feel by us celebrating and having a great time? Now, once I'm away from everything, I'm going to have a good time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But don't make him feel worse because he had a bad round. Mm -hmm. You keep life in perspective. And I, th I think that's what made me successful is because the kids never felt high and they never felt low and they never saw that in me. If they played bad, okay, that's one round. Let's go on. Let's go to the next round. Mm -hmm. Let's work on what got you that bad round and be better. Mm -hmm. And that's the key that I think is good. Yeah, take a lesson. Lesson from what you did wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, oh man, that's powerful. <laughs> deep. Very deep. <laughs> I like it. Then that right there, that knowledge right there is why Jason and I got into podcasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To pick yeah. up on life lessons like Absolutely. that. And somebody, probably me, but somebody needs to hear that. Well, and, and I tell my employees that a lot. You know, I guess if you were to ask my employees what kind of employer I am, they would say I'm very understanding of them. Uh, I have a gentleman who just lost his wife, one of my employees, his life partner of 40 years. And she battled some illness she had a heart attack. She battled some illness and all of her kidneys and everything shut down. So anyway, she passed away on Monday. Mm -hmm. He says, I want to come back to work tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I said, Kevin, you can't. I want you to understand what happened. I want you to go through the grieving process. I want you to be ready when you come back. I don't want you to come back and all of a sudden be angry at a customer. Mm -hmm. I want you to understand the big picture here. So this morning he comes into the shop and he's coming out to play golf. He's got to get away from everything, which I get. And he says to me, thank you. And I said, for what? And he goes, I needed to hear that. Mm. So sometimes, even as an employer, you want to be cognizant of what's going on and at the same time have understanding for the people around you mm -hmm. because if i made him come back to work today he may not have been ready now i've got another issue if he has an issue with a customer yeah so do i cover for him if they need me to i do we're a team all of us work for each other i had two of my employees say hey i'll cover kevin's shift I said, okay, but I don't want to be paid. I want Kevin to get paid for me covering his shift. That's the kind of team I have. That's awesome. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, super you, just, awesome. you just build that around you, and if you have that team around you, Next time, Jason, next good. time you work, I want you to tell them you want me to get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's building that crew around you that, they love each other. They support each other. They'll do anything for each other, and that's that's huge. That's super. Makes awesome. my job a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So uh, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you for golf lessons, yeah, how would they do it? So a couple ways to get a hold of me. Um, the easiest way is to email me or text me um, because if you get me on the phone, it's a rare occasion. <laughs> uh, I get to be pretty busy. I will answer my phone, um, but I usually let it go to voicemail as much as I can, especially if I'm at home at 9 o'clock at night <laughs> or at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> Please do not call my cell phone at 5.30 in the morning. My wife does not like that. <laughs> but, Understandable. Um, I, I give people my cell number all the time. I tell them, hey, you can text me anytime you want to. Just tell me who you are. Yeah. You know. I don't want a text that says, hey, can you give me a golf lesson on Thursday? <laughs> okay, who is this? Because then you have to get that a conversation going. Mm -hmm. But I tell people all the time, my cell number, 208-699-2572. You can text me, call me, whatever. Mm -hmm. And just leave me a message, and I will get back to you. Typically within a couple hours, I'll get back to you at the latest. Now, if you get the text at, say, 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> do you say, yeah, I'll give you a lesson on Thursday, but it's going to be at the same time yeah, I got the text? That's what I should say, actually. And I think my wife would appreciate that a little bit more if I did say that. Sometimes she says to me, can't you just shut that thing mm -hmm. off? But when you run a business, the phone is your lifeline. Mm -hmm. And whether it be the alarm company calling you at 3 o'clock in the morning, whether it be a prowler around and the police are calling you at 3.30 in the morning, whether it be, you know, whatever it is, that lifeline is still there. And so I've always made it a point to be available and have accessible to people at all times. So may not answer it at 3.30 in the morning, but I will answer it when i do get up yeah now if I, people just go to the website and and get the phone number to the links golf course can they call there as well and they can the they can call the links the number there is 208-777-7611 um, if they go to the website i apologize for the website profusely um, our website is not designed by us mm. it's not updated by us we're trying to get that availability to do that and uh, once we get that and get that updated then they can go to the website and i would be happy to have them do that and contact me through the website yeah jason and i just went there uh to the driving range last week and we almost didn't go it because it says we're closed yeah google says you're closed yeah two o'clock it says we're closed yeah and we're we're open as long as the sun's up we're open uh i get there this time, of, this time of year, I get there at 6.30 in the morning, and somebody is there until dark. Um, during June, July, and August, we'll get there sometimes 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and be there until dark. So, Wow. Mm. Super awesome. And only seven days a week. Only seven. Yeah. Nice. All days that end in Y. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 30th. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Daryl... Do you, we're going to wrap it up. Yeah. Do you have any parting words of wisdom? You know, I, I've always told my kids, uh, I have three things that I require in life of my kids and my staff. The first one is always be on time. If you're, if you're supposed to be there at three o'clock and you get there at three o'clock, you're late. Mm -hmm. So be there on time. Be there 10 minutes early. You will be appreciated for that. The second one is don't ever steal somebody's worked hard for what they have you 
don't need to be taking something of somebody else's. And if I catch you stealing as an employee, there's no questions. There's no talk about it. You're done because I just don't tolerate that. And the third thing is don't ever lie to me. Probably the biggest pet peeve that I have is people lying Mm. because there's no reason for it. I mean, if I made a mistake, I made a mistake. I, I told my daughter one time, I said, you lied to me. All you had to do was tell me that you did that. And I'd have been upset, Mm -hmm. but I'd have been okay with it. We could have worked this out. Now that you've lied to me, now I've lost respect for you. Mm. That hurts. That is great. That goes to the core of people. That goes to who you are. Mm -hmm. Because I tell my kids, I tell them all the time, since they were little, little, my number one rule is don't lie to me. Don't but lie. I but I never I never thought about telling them now I have lost respect for you if you lie to me. Yeah. And it takes a long time to earn respect. Mm-hmm. It, I don't care who you are. I mean I have respect for Jason being in the military. I really do. I think that's honorable and I think that's a wonderful thing you've done with your life. Well, thank it, you. <laughs> if if he lied to me, it would take me a long time to earn that respect back. And respect is something that's valuable. Well, and it's not just time. It's being around the person for Correct. a certain amount of time. So I always think that people respect me in the golf business. I think that they respect what I do and who I am. But if I started to go around and telling stories and lying to people or lying in transactions to people, pretty soon I wouldn't have any clientele. Mm-hmm. Because they're not going to trust me. They're not going to bring their business to me. They're not going to trust what I say and do. So my my probably my top priority in all the people that I've dealt with, but I really enforced it in my kids, is don't lie to me. Mm-hmm. Don't lie to anybody. Just tell the truth. It's you much made easier. made a mistake. Much easier. I mean, you made you a mistake. Wrapped up in your web of lies, tell somebody something different than you told the next person. Well, yeah. and that's what I tell my kids. I go, I, you know, whatever the situation is, just don't lie to me about it because if if you lie to me about it then i can't deal with the, the issue correct but if you don't lie to me about it we can deal with the problem correct and then i think the the last thing that i always go back to and this is something that i've gone back to since josh told me was you can't unring the bell mm-hmm. so if you do lie it's going to take a while to earn my respect back but it's fixable but you can't undo it yeah it's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. If you steal from someone, you can't unring the bell. You can't go and put it back and everything's okay. You stole. Yeah. You lost that person's respect because you took something that was theirs. Mm-hmm. Probably my pet peeve and, and something that irritates me is property crime in our area. Yep. And I hate to say anything political. I'm just not that way. But they steal other people's stuff. They steal things that people worked hard. They might have spent two or three months accumulating enough money to go buy the one thing they want. Mm-hmm. And you go and take it. Yeah, we work uh, with a lot of people that steal a lot of things. And it's weird listening to them justify it. Right? Oh. Like, well, they could afford it. Or insurance will pay for it. Correct. You know, and it's oh, super annoying. So unringing the bell is probably my pet peeve is... is all those things are, are not undoable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it takes a while. Yeah. So 
when you ring the bell, remember you can't unring the bell. That's probably my my biggest thing that I say. I love that. Absolutely, me too. That's great. I can't wait to use it. <laughs> Anytime, Daryl. Thank you for being a guest on the yeah, show. Yeah, thank you, really, guys. It's been a Truly pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, it's been been a lot of fun. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yep. All right. We'll see you next week. All that right. Sounds good. Be sure to tell your friends about the show.